0: None of the content on this or any episode of the Kratom Science Podcast, Kratom Science Journal Club, or on any page of KratomScience.com is intended, nor should it be considered medical claims or medical advice. This is the Kratom Science Journal Club with Dr. Jonathan Cachet, neuroscientist and expert in psychopharmacology. In each episode, we discuss an article in a peer-reviewed journal. I'm your host, Brian Gallagher blog and social media writer for KratomScience.com, your source for all things creative So this podcast is going to be about the new documentary based on the Michael Pollan book, How to Change Your Mind, and that's available on Netflix. Uh, and this is a documentary about psychedelics, so I wanted to announce uh, something that Hamilton Morris announced on Twitter on July 22nd. Uh, he says today the DEA withdrew their plan to prohibit five psychedelics. And Hamilton lists the five psychedelics in the tweet. And he goes on, quote, As opposition mounted, they decided to cancel the hearing. Kratom was the first time public opposition prevented the prohibition of a substance... Now we have five more successes, unquote. And I'll link to that tweet. And uh, these were five newly discovered or synthesized psychedelics. I don't know much about them. And the DEA was going to outlaw these, just like Kratom. They are quietly going to put them on Schedule 1, which is, uh, you know, a bad thing to do. Uh, these things need to be researched and legal. So that's good news. So anyway, here's uh Journal Club. Uh anyway, so yeah, did you get through the four episodes of How to Change Your Mind? I did. I thought there was only 3 though.
1: Isn't there LSD, psilocybin, um mescaline, and then that's it, right? MDMA. Oh, you know, I didn't listen, I didn't watch the MDMA one. Oh, okay. That's the All one right. One that, I missed.
0: that that was a good one. I mean, they had um well, I guess we could just go through like in order. Uh, that was the third episode. Um, yeah, you and, know, I could talk about all of them. This is like sort of yeah, my wheelhouse, right? This so. is pretty basic. Uh, I mean, it's this is stuff that you know a lot of a lot of the information I already recognize, and this is like a uh, Michael Pollan's uh, book, uh, "How to Change Your Mind." It's kind of the documentary version of his book. And I would say, in general, this is the thing, like, a lot of people who have studied this uh, might know some things already, but it's still a good documentary to watch, and and there's personal stories w- yeah. that none of us have seen before, which is, which is, it's so, it's worth it. Even if you're an expert in psychedelics to watch it. Um, and, but what I, what I would say is like, this is a good one to send to your parents or your grandparents. Cause it's yeah. very, Michael Paul was very uh, psychedelics naive when he started to research this. And, um, and so he explains everything very basically. And, uh, and, and it's, and it's, a it's, it's a good Yeah, it's definitely a good way to show it to uh, somebody who is skeptical about uh, these psychedelics.
1: You know, and I would say too. You know, I guess the first one on LSD does a lot of sort of exposition to where it's like laying out the history of psychedelics. I like the way that you put it too with Michael Pollan, where he was, you know he he basically gives his story about why he started. getting interested in in essentially these natural medicines or these plants. And that he remembers reading from a young age this study about how LSD like rearranges your chromosomes and causes birth defects when he was like 10 years old or something. Um but you know so he was he was a prime candidate just like you know our parents are older um were as part of this hysteria, you know, this psychedelic hysteria that um, in some ways Kratom hasn't gotten to to that extent to that d- d- degree um, but we're you know it's similar and broadly and in speaking in, in drug hysteria and so even as someone who is familiar with all of these stories you know there were little tidbits and I wrote down some notes on and the LSE episode of tidbits so I was like oh yeah I didn't know that or that's an interesting thing and then really the the um, the mescaline one I would characterize as, you know, really discussing sort of the provenance of the peyotes and yeah. um, cultures, uh, whereas the psilocybin episode was really the one that gets into these personal case studies, you know, people with OCD, people with um, cancer diagnoses, and then confronting that, the sort of death down the road. And I would I would say for anyone who's really like trying to talk to their parents or elderly friends or elderly relatives about... Um, you know, trying to use psychedelics that the, this is a really great series to, for them to sort of understand the breadth of it. And it's not presented by young, hip uh, researchers. You know, Michael is in his, I think, mid to late sixties. And yeah. and so there's a lot to relate there.
0: The subjects I would say are middle-aged to older. Um, mm-hmm. Even in the MDA, MA1, they deal a lot with PTSD and trauma because MDMA is like serotonergic. Um, and it, and it, and Ann Shulgin's on that one, and uh, Doblin, and they show about a little bit about maps, but there's like oh, right. a New, New Orleans woman who went through Katrina, and her mom it was like a murder-suicide and that she found when she was a kid, and her whole, her whole deal was she just had to numb it out because it was too much to deal with after she found her mom, shot to death, and her uh-huh. I think sister and some other family member, and... Um, her whole thing is well the mdma and the psychedelics made me deal with it instead of just shutting it down um and you know now it just now that she's dealt with it it's just like it didn't make me feel joyful or make me experience pain but it made me see and that's even what they say in uh i think the mescaline one um right they're talking about um huxley and they're talking about how it's it's a dive into reality, and it's not an escape from reality. And another thing I was going to say is uh, in the beginning of the LSD one, it starts out with a Native American tobacco ceremony that Paul and is going through. And that's a good way to start it because. He, Everybody thinks of tobacco cigarettes as causing lung cancer. They're just a bad habit. But tobacco even was used ceremonially as like a healing aid as well. I did
1: not know that. I did not know that at all.
0: Yeah, oh, so me, that's me, what it me, me off that was new to me as well. I, I, I thought it was just you know peace pipe. It was just like you know uh, that's how it was used, like pretty much how we do it today. But I had no idea that there was right. like t- healing ceremonies with tobacco. So Yeah, that, you that know, was did
1: they use one of those? Did she use one of those like um, shoots? Because I know that he like in- inhaled a bunch up through his nose. I think so. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, you know, I don't know. I've never heard of anybody doing that and then getting this sort of like uh, instant rush um, yeah. kind of a psychedelic nature. Yeah, so that that right off the bat was like, oh, okay, interesting. Uh, I did not know about that.
0: I know some of the South American tribes inhale some kind of psychedelic through one of those things like that. It's kind of like a snorting yeah, like to the shoot. Uh, someone blows it up there. Yeah, yeah. They kind of get in a frenzy and it's like, a, it's a psychedelic, I don't know exactly what it is. Yeah, that, that whole method of administration of someone like assisting you
1: it. I don't <sighs> know if I'm up for that. I, no. It's just, I feel like if you shoot anything up in your body like that, like you're going to sort of feel tingly for a little bit
0: the one quote i wrote down a lot of people know lsd was used by the cia and they go through albert hoffman and how he discovered lsd and he rode his bicycle and everything and but eventually lsd was uh studied by the cia to see if they could mind control uh enemies um Mm -hmm. and, and he said it's a cia mind control experiment gone terribly wrong uh, in terms of uh, the 60s uh, hippie movement and, and right stuff that led like to that. the
1: countercultural movement yeah the 60s yeah, yeah that's right it's, it's, like, yeah, it's back,
0: it- uh, Ken Kesey on there and every because he was one of the uh, test subjects the guy who wrote one flew over the cuckoo's Nest uh, and the Mary pranksters and he was actually a CIA test subject and he yeah ended up, you know being one of the a big popular American writer and one of the movement leaders and it is whatnot. interesting, right?
1: Because usually Timothy Leary is the one that is like sort of pinned as driving that. But alongside of Timothy Leary at Harvard was this MK Ultra at the CIA, um, and then it was you're right, Ken Kesey through the MK Ultra that ultimately led to sort of the broader acid tests and the and the cultural um, you know the cultural movements of the 60s or what we think of the Summer of Love and all of that. Um, you know, on the LSD episode, I think that it's it's sort of like what we had hinted to here. But, you know, uh, there is there's this default assumption because of the drug hysteria that the psychedelics are dangerous, that they're addictive, that they could be lethal, that they're going to leave all these kind of effects. And so Michael sort of lays out at the beginning, the more that I researched it, I realized that they're not addictive. They're not toxic. There's no known lethal dose. Um, but the hysteria is real. And, and then he goes on to say, you know, like that doesn't mean there aren't dangers, right? Yeah. It's not to say run into it headfirst, but, um, this notion that there should be schedule one and there's no safe use and no medical use is just absolutely false. And mm-hmm. I think that everybody's sort of, um, in their journey of learning about controlled substances. And I like the way Michael puts it too. He's like, you know, how did a single plant become illegal? Or one of them said, how did a species, how, who do we think we are? I think that was Paul Stamets who said, who do we think we are to just make a single species illegal? Um, and so everybody's journey along that spectrum, you know, you sort of, you eventually land at a spot where you're like, this isn't lining up with what we know to be true. It's what I was fed, this, this drug hysteria knowledge. Yeah.
0: and And they even had, which I, I don't think I knew They even had sort of like Exaggerations about fetus damage right. um, Which went on with uh, Crack babies in the 1980s Crack babies were, really weren't a thing uh, But it was like an exaggeration By a, a doctor and, and, and it was like Later reveal, revealed that, uh, that c- s- These symptoms in newborns could have been from Heavy tobacco use uh, right right so it, it was just one of those um one of those ways that science gets exaggerated and we see that with kratom a lot with some of these case reports where they really don't know what's in the kratom or what's going on with the people that go in with problems and and it the headlines kratom induced whatever right so <laughs> That happened with LSD, and it happened with crack. Same thing. Uh,
1: yeah. Well, you know, having done research with LSD, you know, and I think Michael put it well, too, saying, like, he had to uh, excavate this knowledge because it was very much buried. Um, this is from, like, the 50s through the 70s. All yeah. of this research was done. But there is, by... Uh, Uh, probably, you know, maybe 40, 50% of the body of research on LSD was in the idea of it being a psychomimetic in that it induces symptoms of psychosis. And Uh so, you know, when we were doing background research before we dosed zebrafish and trying to understand like LSD in the window of consciousness expansion, it was always difficult because even our PI at that time was like, well, no, we'll give them LSD in order to induce schizophrenia. And there'll be a zebrafish model of schizophrenia. And we're like, Look, that's, that's bad science. That's bunk. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I think that the, the guy that did it, I didn't write down his name, but he, he was talking about, um, it was a guy who who maybe, maybe was in Maryland, but he was essentially one of the first ones to say, well, we can use LSD to induce psychosis-like states. But he goes, but like any good scientist, the first rule is you should do it yourself. And then he realized in doing that, that these aren't the same thing as like a psychotic state. And in fact, there's really a lot of like uh, euphoria and joy um, and empathy that emerges that's, that's not schizophrenic. But um, I mentioned that, I think, to say that a lot of the research out today, and you know, like in the Kratom papers, what it'll be like um, the, the use um, of Kratom can be, you know, potentially harmful and addictive. And it's sort of like this game of telephone. You'll still see in LSD papers to this day, like this notion that it came from this path of being used to induce schizophrenia or other psychoses. Like, that's still yeah. at the, the foreground or forefront of most of the lead-in to the research done today. Um,
0: I think, though, yeah. if, if you're prone to schizophrenia, it can trigger it. Like, if you're... Uh, isn't that right? And I think Paul and even said that in here, but I, he I did, Yeah, it, it doesn't cause it though. It's uh, schizophrenia. I think it's too complex to be caused by taking a drug that metabolizes out of your system very quickly.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think people say that cause they have to say, like, like you're saying, it's not lethal. It's not addictive. It's not toxic, but you want to, you want to curb that statement and to say like, that doesn't mean that it's potentially risk free. And so, you know, people do say now, um, well, if you have this risk factor for schizophrenia, like uh, psychedelic can cause your first like psychiatric breakdown um, mm-hmm. and that could trigger you to sort of go down this path where you develop symptomology. You know, I I just, I don't know if I've seen that. I don't know if I've witnessed it uh, or I've, I've read about it. You know, I just don't know. I,
0: I definitely have with, I had a friend from high school and his mom had schizophrenia and I think. The LSD probably did wasn't good for him and did trigger that. You know, if your parent is uh, has uh, yeah mental certainly he- serious <laughs> mental health issues, uh, I mean, you grew up with it, so like those probably should be careful. Um, but, yeah,
1: and, but, and so do you think if they were to yeah. take it in setting in the clinical setting, that it would have been maybe Um, less likely yeah because i'm I'm talking
0: and everybody i'm talking about was like 18 to 22 at the time and doing Mm -hmm. it on their own with no guidance uh how we all did it and so yeah yeah very possibly that they could have a medical benefit from it it, because maybe yeah yeah. they
1: were in the clinical setting they would have been able to get hit with like um, some sort of central nervous system depressant once they yeah. started like having a panic attack. But, you know, I don't know, it, it can induce a panic attack because it like opens up the, the boundaries of what reality is. And you realize that the reality that you live with the day to day is just like one narrow vision or version of what is actually all around you all the time. And so just having that knowledge, just being exposed to that can lead people to like you know, they feel like they're on shaky ground because they don't know what's real, or not that what's real or what's not real, but that they just know that there's more beyond what they've previously perceived as what reality is. And yeah, that can yeah. Just I think that can send people waddling.
0: Another oh, because the mushroom episode I was looking at um, it's her, there's a, there was like an older woman with cancer, and and the episode was focused on how it helped her kind of kind of accept. It didn't cure cancer, everybody. Uh, It it helped her accept the inevitability of death or how close. I mean, she's in her 70s. She has cancer. It helped her deal, I think, with the fact of her death. And the other thing I found pretty cool is she was like a devout Catholic. and And it helped like strengthen her Catholicism like for me when I the years I did a bunch of acid I went from believing in God to being an atheist and for me it was like nothing's there it's all me but I probably would have <laughs> came to that anyway um f- just for my own belief system they talked about things that they saw I- I'm not sure if it was clear but I I feel like this is Laying down with your eyes closed, these are the things they envision while tripping. Uh, it was almost as though Paulin was describing it as they were in this hallucinatory world. But I really think it's from just laying down in a relaxed, therapeutic setting and describing the visions you're having and the thoughts mm-hmm. you're having. And her, yeah. with her, she was saw the Virgin Mary. She had a miscarriage, and that she was always like. I felt guilty about probably right and like right. the virgin right. mary told her not to worry about her miscarriage that and she it, was
1: taking care of the baby
0: yeah yeah and so this is this is kind of how it, it is like kind of a mind-blowing experience so so it's kind of how it changes people in a in a positive meaningful way um yeah versus, that's what i think she, sh- yeah. she says it was like it was
1: you know basically that that there is something else beyond the life that she has now and that it's beautiful and that there's these, like this loving support and connectivity between all living things. Like currently uh, she was an avid gardener and I'm, I'm happy you brought up the fact that she was a, a devout Catholic too. Cause I mean, it, it weighs into it. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they, they all describe this mystical experience where you um, have this feeling that there is an, uh, a tighter interconnectivity between all that is. And so if you're, um, a devout religious person that can be rather reaffirming in your beliefs. Um, And it can be, um, you know, it could put your mind at ease because you're, you're no longer feeling like there's either nothing or it's unknown. You have this feeling like, you know that there's something there and that what it is is beautiful. And so that really helps them um, deal with the inevitability of, of a potential death.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And she was talking about how she pictured. That's what I liked about this whole series is they, really get in detail about how psychologically exactly it helped them uh move on Mm -hmm. or psychologically heal uh she was talking about her she saw all these dark waves and they were the cancer Mm -hmm. uh, and that represent it's almost like uh what little i read about Jungian uh psychology uh, Mm -hmm. and Jung. it's it's more like telling a story for yourself and and using these metaphors to get over, like, very real-life situations. And I think, you know, these psychedelics are a catalyst for that. When she's saying these waves were the cancer, but I walk toward them anyway um, and just, you know, just really... Face Show me what I have all to learn the fears yeah. and dealt with it. Yeah, and yeah. That's it's exactly. really interesting. And they go into the history of uh, Maria Sabina uh, from Oaxaca in Mexico. She was like one of the last shaman. Um I did not just, know any of that. Yeah, I've read that history before. That, and that's really interesting because uh Wasson, the, the um he was maybe a psychologist or something, but he had his wife was a uh, this uh so who's a banker Oh, yeah, so he was. it was just his uh, hobby, so mycologist, he had a lot of leisure. Right. Yeah, and his uh, wife was actually a mycologist as well, or, or that was just their hobby. So mm-hmm. they actually went down, and he wrote an article on Sabina for Life magazine, and mm-hmm. that's really when mushrooms became part of our culture or modern modern culture. It's uh, Huatla de Jimenez down in Mexico. It's a little town. And then they started getting an influx of hippies and George Harrison and Bob Dylan right. and Mick yeah. Jagger all went down there. And they kind of uh, shunned Maria Sabina because cause she actually gave the initial interview to this guy, not knowing, couldn't possibly know that this would happen
1: down there too the way that they referred to the mushrooms i think it was like the flesh of christ or the flesh of god yeah. or, or the body of god and, and michael Pollan goes it sounds an awful lot like the sacrament or eucharist to me and it's like gosh and crazy. absolutely
0: it was it was like part catholic and and part tribal religion because because she was like a shaman she did he- these were healing ceremonies where she used uh, mushrooms uh, right and, and then but it also she invoked the image of uh, the Virgin Mary once again and uh, yeah I even I've read pretty extensively about her I mean you, I used to see stuff on Arrowwood probably was where I did, first discovered about her and she even said you know when the people in the funny clothes started coming the, the, yeah. the, the uh, mushrooms lost their power because people were just tripping and it wasn't like a healing right. ceremony that she was used to using them for yeah. this whole thing between like plants and Pills. Once they developed a psilocybin pill, and they came down and they gave some to her. She said they have the know. same the same spirit of the mushroom thing. That's a thing that Hamilton has explored. Um, he prefers things be like extracted and put into a dose where you know what you're getting, versus uh, even in the mescaline episode, you know they're breaking up pieces of cactus. And I think uh, M- Michael Pollan even brought up the fact that, well, if the, these psychedelic experiences is, are are healing people with OCD trauma and they pretty much like heal people sometimes after one experience or maybe one a year or something like that. Then how is pharma going to make uh, money off of it? Mm-hmm. So yeah. like people, one right. pill that of plants that you can grow. <laughs>
1: Well, how about the early days of the LSD where they were giving people milligrams of LSD instead of micrograms? Oh, my God.
0: wild. Yeah, (laughs) I wrote that down. Albert Hoffman's first dose, when he intentionally took it, was 25 milligrams.
1: (laughs) That's a lot, dude. That's like a thousand (laughs) times what a normal dose would be.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think 25 micrograms is in like one hit, one strong hit. Maybe a threshold
1: dose. Yeah, 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 yeah so that's wild i think (laughs) um you know and he described too like when he did it intentionally like there was this period where he was riding home where it like turned scary and he wasn't really sure and he was like for sure that he was you know and in this in this documentary this was the first time that i had actually seen like hoffman um and some of these like you, know, you always see the clips of Timothy Leary saying, tune in, uh, tune, tune out, drop out, or whatever it you know, is. Yeah, yeah. But I hadn't seen the scientists on camera before. I didn't really even know that that footage existed. So hearing it uh, me directly neither. from him was was cool, yeah.
0: LSD was like serious science. It was in something that existed in labs that people were studying. Uh, they started to do it on test subjects. Then Leary, this is why I'm kind of ambivalent about Leary, because he started you know, going into the media and saying, this is a re- cultural revolution and
1: uh-huh. then
0: the vietnam war was happening and people were against the war so the government wanted to shut down the anti war yeah, well, movement yeah hold on
1: a second yeah hold on a second there you jumped too fast though because yeah. they make it um at Stanford. So this is like right around the time where Ken Kesey was part of the MK ultra shortly thereafter at Stanford uh, in California, they were doing creative problem solving with scientists, right? And they, the, in order to be admitted to this study where you get LSD, you had to have a problem that you couldn't solve, but you've been working on for the last four months. And they said that there was 48 problems. And at the end of the LSD trip, they had 48 solutions that were credible. So there was like, this very early <laughs> inclination to solve creative problems in what essentially became like the fertile crescent of Silicon Valley, right? So if it wasn't for these tests that were being done in Stanford with LSD, they make this through line to say that was the birth of Silicon Valley that then led to the birth of the space program that then led to the birth of the environmental movement, environmentalism yeah. um, at PCR. So the scientists that developed the polymer chain reaction like how we understand genetics and perform genetic experiments now. That was uh, developed by a guy who had done LSD. The I, I had heard this like briefly before too, but the founder of Alcohol Anonymous was not necessarily, he had a spiritual awakening that wasn't necessarily Christian, but was, was psychedelic and that yeah. Yeah, he stopped drinking after that. All of that then leads into Vietnam, where I think they describe it as saying like, you know, before that time when people were drafted, they were sort of like, You know, they weren't opposed to it. They would serve their country and go off to war gladfully. But now with this like countercultural revolution that, yeah, there were these problems with the Vietnam War. And then ultimately Nixon attributed those um, those problems at home or people protesting and people objecting to it um, as the psychedelics and the marijuana that ultimately led to the drug war where we're at now
0: and it was like kind of everything that went along with it as well television uh being in everybody's homes it it wasn't you just had very controlled radio during world war ii so we could see what was going on in vietnam there was like you know bombed the villages on the on the news every night it's very fair yeah yeah and and also uh, the journalism that was coming out of there was amazing i mean people started to understand that the whole war is based on a lie, and it was basically just a war on poor people. And it, it was like the evolution of everything together that kind of caused that moment. You know, the LSD and stuff, it was uh, for sure. Like, uh, And then they, they even had uh, like Steve Jobs, Stuart Brand, uh, the guy yeah. that, that uh, discovered DNA. They all say... Yeah, I did LSD. I mean, not everybody that did LSD obviously came up with a groundbreaking invention Nobel Prize. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so maybe they would have discovered those things anyway. But um, that was just kind of one of my notes that, but yeah. it was contribute. It was definitely contributory to all these things that were going on.
1: Yeah. And I think the guy with the DNA or with the PCR was essentially saying, like, I wasn't on LSD when I yeah. came up with it, but. I had because it had opened the doors to like alternative ways of thinking and expanded the breadth of what I thought was possible. How I was thinking about the problems just changed fundamentally. And I think that sort of goes back to what we were earlier talking about with the psychosis. Like it could, it could maybe go both ways, but a lot of people, you know, I don't, I also don't know if there's a lot of evidence for these things like acid flashbacks or like hysteria yeah. where it was like, Oh, it builds up in your survival, your cerebrospinal fluid, and if you like, if you crick your back the right way, they release it back in, and you'll have this acid flashback. And it's, you know, I don't, I, I think that's like hysteria wrapped yeah. around the notion that you, you still you leave the experience with an understanding of like what it was like when you were there and how it is different from when you're not there. And and that knowledge can change the way that you're thinking.
0: What Hoffman said, which was kind of like the sad ending temporarily then was he said the American story and they were talking about the Vietnam war or everything kind of destroyed Uh the potential of LSD for a while. But now luckily, you know, this is a really mainstream documentary. Like, you you, you could never see anything like this uh, in the 90s, even, like, 10 years ago. mm mm-hmm. um, there there was never anything but uh acid bad in the mainstream media but now since our media is wide open uh we can see and in a very mainstream well-funded documentary is doing this but i think that whole american story thing goes all the way back to the native americans which is covered in the mescaline thing there was a lot of interesting history in there that i didn't know they were going after from the beginning they were going after peyote the uh you know, colonial European settlers. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, the
1: Spanish, yeah, the, the colonialists, yeah. right. And she said, yeah, even go
0: to go after the medicine keeper to destroy a. Co- culture you have to go af- go after the medicine keeper which you see in wars when uh in like wars of aggression when hospitals are bombed and ambulance or right. ambulances are bombed and stuff like that. I thought it was, was super brilliant that they decided I didn't get the actual name that um, the San Pedro cactus was called. Uh I called before that? Yeah, before I think it was, it was like white key or something like that. Yeah. I, I yeah. really should look it up. The Native Americans changed the cactus's name to San Pedro because it's Saint Peter, and he's the gatekeeper to heaven. So and it's the
1: same thing with marijuana, Mary's yeah. plant.
0: Like they had to change it, and that's it oh was really
1: to, yeah marijuana was a, a changed name to make it sound like Mary's plant uh, yeah. to comport with like. The Christian colonists that had come in, and it's a uh, it's a story that you just hear repeated like over and over and over again. That like the these Christian colonials came in, they were threatened or um, concerned about the you know I think I said and they put it well where it's like if everybody can access God on your own. What do you need priests for? um, Basically, is what they're saying, and so it it affects that order. And so, you know, they had this whole—they showed a a real quick overview of all these questions that the Spanish colonialists were supposed to ask of all the natives when they like interacted with them. And one of them was, "Do you eat the devil peyote?" or something like that. Yeah, it's it's wild.
0: And and that's weird. And he also, I think, mentioned that episode that. You know, really in Western tribal culture, we do have... They found, like, ergot, a right. goblet in Greece somewhere. A chalice. The European culture was, you know, the modern culture that was ruled by kings. But we're all from tribal cultures, if you look back mm-hmm. far enough, where probably some form of psychedelic was consumed ceremonially. As Europeans started forming into kingdoms and and ruled by, a you know tyranny basically then all all these sort of you know rules started to be imposed on people and then we we didn't know anything but alcohol and coffee was (laughs) one of the ones that was um i think we talked about this before. like even coffee was um used as a a tool to uh destroy a culture by another culture
1: i thought it was interesting that he was mentioning that chalice and that there was this like a yearly rite of passage that the philosophers did, you know, Socrates, Plato, like back then, that this chalice could have had the ergot fungus in it, or they found the ergot fungus residue in this chalice and that yeah. it could have been. Um, but it, it is always marked by this idea that you are using it in a sort of ritualistic or ceremonious fashion where there's an elder who has done the the compound of the drug before and that they're sort of leading a new uh, round of recruits or like a new class through this rite of passage. And I think yeah. there's you know, there's some wisdom there.
0: The younger guy that was in there, one of the younger Native American guys, um, he was talking about how he had alcoholism and he went to, uh, I think his uncle or something. And he said, I want to do this peyote ceremony because I want to Uh stop drinking. And and that was, and that that goes to the whole experience healing versus just doing it for fun as, as you have an intention, you go in with it. Uh, I want to, you know, I want to, deal with this fear of death. Uh, I want to get over PTSD. I want to get over my OCD. That's That seems to be one of the keys to healing. is actually like- these You use things. it with
1: the intent, right? Yeah. And you know, I mean, universally, all the psychedelics sort of, the best analogy that I use is like shades and filters or shades and blinders, right? Where like the blinders on the side of your eyes, like on the horses, just help you look forward and then you have different color shades in front of your eyes that sort of limit the amount of information coming in. And when you get rid of those shades and those filters, you can approach yourself or yourself and this problem in a way with empathy, like sort of, you're not sort of stuck in the cyclical, like negative thought process, you're able to reflect on whatever you're trying to stop or change or modify and understand that, you have the control to do that and you ha- you approach yourself with empathy and i think that's one of the universal things with all with all of these psychedelics is that that ability to sort of um, reassess whatever you're going in with the intent to learn more about or change from a perspective where you're not necessarily succumbing to x like x is something that you're in charge of um, in some ways at the, at the end of the LSD one, they were talking about doing research on the parts of your brain that actually does that shading and that filtering. And it's primarily yeah. the thalamus. So like all of your sensory organs get relayed through the thalamus and then out into the like, uh, cortex areas of their brain processing or, or signaling, like signal uh, classification. And what we see with with almost all psychedelics is that there's um, much less inhibition going into the thalamus, meaning that there's more sensory information being relayed throughout your brain. And I, I liked at the, the end of the LSD one where they were saying, we're not just looking at what receptors does this drug touch in your brain, we want to understand it from a systems level, meaning like, how does it actually affect uh, our sensory inputs and our sensory relays and so that's sort of like that's where this next generation of research is going whereas in the 50s and 60s it was like sandoz found it they didn't really know what to do with it and they're like anybody who wants to sort of figure out what this even is let us know and we'll yeah. send it to you <sighs> now there's um some some much more like focused research on mechanisms and systems that um, you know not will just not only will tell us a lot about the psychedelics but about human consciousness in general and that's that's always been sort of the exciting thing about the psychedelics to me in from the research perspective
0: there are a lot of scientists in in each of these uh, episodes but- i even mean, know it's funny
1: after nixon did the ban so the vietnam war and then nixon declares public enemy number one and that there were <laughs> some 60 lsd studies going on around the nation at that time and like they all got a letter that was like as receipt of this letter you are no longer exempt and this is a controlled substance and if you don't stop and destroy it then you're going to be in trouble and it's just it's wild yeah. how fast that can happen
0: Talked about that how the like would send you, anybody can get LSD with like a well-written <laughs> yeah, well written letter, yeah. They <laughs>
1: said a professional looking letterhead, yeah,
0: yeah. That's <laughs> just crazy. MDMA one talked about how it was invented by Merck, so mm-hmm. you know, and they and it just sat in their lab on in a flask on their shelf for like years, and they're just like, Yeah, whatever. They're well, trying to know, do MDMA something completely, completely different. Has been like
1: I mean, <laughs> I think I think people that grew up in the '80s or were like coming of age age in the '80s, like they were, the, you know, they it was the rave drug because it really at that point it wasn't illegal yet, and so you could just yeah. get your hands on it. Like it's where LSD and mushrooms and mescaline, even though the mescaline's in a little bit of a different legal category, but um, where those became illegal, like in the Nixon era, it wasn't till much more recently that MDMA sort of uh, got this illegal. St-
0: status yeah and i remember i've never done ecstasy it was ecstasy in, in, in the like early to mid 90s I, it was like around when i was in high school coming yeah raves were coming out and i, I think they had started you know sometime in the late 80s but then they were like raves were getting popular raves and psychedelics and ecstasy but i remember my friend describing it he knew like a nurse to get really good pure ones oh yeah <laughs> and he was like oh Oh, dude! I just loved everybody. I just wanted to like touch everybody. <laughs> and uh, I was do you like, think
1: that yeah. you could do any of these in the clinical setting, where they're where you're like there with a researcher uh, and you have on um, headphones and a
0: and a, um a thing over your eyes? I, I don't think so. No, I could I could <laughs> I never. So either. It's just the people sitting there watching you. I'd be too self conscious. It would distri- It would distract me. I don't know. And inevitably, you know,
1: there's always someone in the group if you're on a trip with a group where someone's like, yeah, we need to go outside. Let's go for a walk. Like no one ever really addresses that urge that you get. And so I just don't know if I'd be able to do that in the clinical setting. You're right. Like uh, being under the eyes of being watched, you would sort of like go in these loops of being really self-conscious. But then just having to like sit there. I don't know if I. You, I always get these urges to like go out and adventure, and it would never. It would be tough for me to do it.
0: All the, all the people in the doc in this documentary seem to do good with it, and they're all just sitting there on the bed with like two people with notepads. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> and I wonder if you know if they had had experience before that too, because it does make a difference. Um, yeah. If you depending on where you were introduced to the drug and when you first did it, like that sort of becomes built into your own set and setting. And so who's to say like you know i've never done mescaline or peyote but maybe I, I could do that one in that setting because i don't have a, a another context to link it to who's to say it's just yeah. i just know that uh, i like getting outside and walking and uh, i would have a trouble sitting on a bed for the whole entire time definitely
0: but it it uh, hopefully it will work uh for people and then and they also showed um today where you know there's a movement to decriminalize i think it was just uh Probably um, psilocybin or certain psychedelics.
1: The Decrim Nature?
0: Is that what they're called? Yeah. Yeah, so,
1: but that was at the end of the mushroom episode. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, these moves to decriminalize like natural plants that have these compounds in them.
0: There was another uh, uh, issue we we should touch on is a lot of the Native Americans were saying, well, mescaline or peyote is left out of a lot of these. uh, uh decriminalized psychedelics things and 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 there was a whole argument about um you know who should have the peyote cactus they were talking about you know big farms going in and and they were like peyote used to grow down there now this big farm's like killing a massive amount of it um
1: yeah i didn't know that they said so the natural habitat of these peyote uh cat guy is like a long the US and Mexican banks of the Rio Grande, the river, and that, that, yeah, like a lot of this industrialization, or even just poaching. And, you know, before that, or maybe it was while I was watching the episode, I was browsing the subreddit, and someone had a picture that they had gotten, you know, and it was like, you know, mailed to them. And all of the top comments were, I hope this wasn't poached. I hope this wasn't poached. I hope this wasn't poached. Much like the with Maria, like when all of this attention gets to something, it can really sort of like too much attention can deplete a resource until it's gone and sort of yeah. uh, move it from one arena to another without much control over what the outcome is. And so, yeah, you know, I think that they were I think that they were including peyote in these natural decrim laws. But then they wanted to take it out because they didn't want people to go down and start poaching these plants. And I think this oh, is a cactus okay, that like okay. 15 years to grow. Know, something like 15 years to reach maturity um and yeah. there are other cacti that you can use that have the same amount of mescaline in them um, so, okay but, that
0: yeah. would make sense because it is a peyote is legal for people uh, with for, for religious purposes i think
1: peyote was a uh, peyote is you can buy peyote cacti at like yeah. home
0: depot and sometimes they're yeah. there it San doesn't illegal in, yeah, yeah
1: it, does, it doesn't become illegal until you like basically process the it and ingest it but you know it was interesting too how much the native americans had to fight even to keep that like they got a religious exemption yeah um, to say that you can't come in and take this like sacrament away from us this has been part of our culture for a long time yeah um and i thought it was interesting that michael poland at the end decided like that i'm not going to try this substance i'm going to leave it for for them that was his personal choice and i thought that was that was pretty cool
0: Yeah, he asked the one guy, and the guy's like, "Why should you have it? Like, you guys take, (laughs) you guys took everything else from us, and why should exactly?" So that would make sense that they would be against uh, legalizing it for everybody else. And it's something that I think kratom people think about a lot. You know, if they're going to develop into a drug, is it going to be outlawed to grow? Is it going to be outlawed for me to buy? from a vendor that has given me clean stuff for years. so
1: Right, yeah, it's, just, it's another plant. Like, how, who do we think we are to make certain certain plant species illegal? Um, yeah. I think is a, is a good through line. But, you know, overall, I think that you're, you're right in the say that this is like a very mainstream, approachable, educational documentary that for people who haven't been exposed before, like before then it would have never been in the news and that all the news would have been negative and hysterical. Um, you could find these opinions in books like, you know, The Doors of Perception and, and Aldous Huxley. And so yeah. th- those books have been there, but now we're in the age of the internet and Netflix. And so now hopefully it's going to open up another generation to understand or at least get started on their own personal research down this path. So I, I was really stoked. I was counting down the days till it was out. Um, and I, I had actually bought that book for several people who I thought could benefit from it who were just sort of being sticks in the mud. And I said, read this book. Now that the documentary is out, I said, "Let's just watch the documentary and then let's talk about it in a in a reasonable fashion."
0: Thank you once again, Dr. John Cachet On social media at jcachet check out that doc. It's called How to Change Your Mind on Netflix. The music is Captain Big Wheel. The song is called Moonrunner. Please like, subscribe, share, or rate, review. Check us out on Twitter at Creative Science. Check us out on Facebook. And the Creative Science Journal Club is produced by me, Brian Gallagher, for Creativescience.com. Take care. The CIA brought LSD to the USA. <laughs>